Welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. turning to Genesis chapter 1. We've been going through 1 Timothy. We're in chapter 5. And um, so, and, and we just read, and I think as you heard this, um, we, we look at chapter 5 and it begins, don't exhort an older man harshly, and talks about, you know, older men and treat them as fathers, older women as mothers, brothers, sisters. It's, he's really been forming this idea of God's household that we read back in chapter 3, God's household, which is his church, is sacred. And there's a way that it works. There's a culture and there's, uh, there's a method behind it. And, and as he's been talking through this, remember he talks about, hey, I want you to go and tell the Ephesians um, these things like about their false teaching and about following false teachers. And he's saying, I want you to remind them so they know how to behave in God's household, which is the church. And then we see that, that the family becomes the training grounds for future elders and deacons, future servants for the church. He's saying, man, that family at home, like that's the proving ground and the training ground for men who will come and lead the church, right? And so there's this this level of importance that's put on our own family and our own household, but in regards to, to us as a church. And I think the reason why I'm going all the way back to the beginning is because it's, I think we need to get a, a perspective, an idea to allow this to form us away from the world, okay? We are so amazingly susceptible to the messages of the world. And, and the truth is, is because in many regards, me and you, we don't want to be persecuted or we don't want people to say something about us that's not kind or something like that. It's very easy to want to be a group that goes, let's just blend in. Okay, let's not really make a stand. Let's not really, and, when we, and, and we can convince ourselves as we read the Bible that, hey, this is like God's household's no big deal. And so when Paul starts talking about how we should treat older men and older women and, and younger men and younger women, and when he starts talking about widows and family members in our household, there's really not going to be any weight that comes with that if we don't really understand God why on earth is this so important to you all right it's this idea of not just like falling into okay yeah um, you know yeah the church is my family no, no. listen this is this is what's beautiful about this is when you and we'll talk about this more I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself okay but when God has created this beautiful idea of what we call a church family Right? He didn't create it to come in second or third behind every other relationship. Amen. Okay? 
And again, this is what, so ultimately what I hope this accomplishes when we get into 1 Timothy chapter 5, I hope what this accomplishes is a level for us to examine ourselves and be brought to repentance. To be brought to repentance to go, okay, God, man, where do I need to readjust rethink, repent, where is that? And so that's why we're beginning here in Genesis chapter 1. Right there, the first page, in the beginning. You know, a lot of times we, we open up Genesis for one reason. Is we want to argue about, were the were, was it seven literal days? We want to have arguments. So we use Genesis 1 through 11. And just, okay, if that's your deal... Just that's fine. Understand that's not what the Bible is written about or for. Particularly this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the of the waters. OK, so he said here at the beginning and I'm, and I'm highlighting those words because they're incredibly important moving forward. OK. Let's read it this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was a dark, lifeless, chaotic void. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Okay? And so this is what the setup is. is, is you have, we, we have God ushered in, okay, the first two verses. And he's saying, I looked around, and here's what I saw. A dark, just chaotic void out there devoid of life, devoid of light. And then he said, we, we start seeing these instances. Then God said, then God said, and we have something come into existence. And he said, and it was good. Why is that important? Okay, because we're setting it up and God is setting it up right from the beginning. Okay, is there is a distinct difference in darkness and void and lifelessness and chaos and what he brings, okay? What he brings is good. What he brings is, is, is perfect and beautiful and all of these things, okay? God took this chaotic, lifeless void and here's the thing is, is we want to learn something about God. He immediately exercised his authority over everything through 10 acts of speaking, okay? That's not a coincidence that he spoke it. It's not a coincidence that his word created it. It's not a coincidence, but he says, listen, I am. So if there's any, like right off the bat, if there's any question from me and you on, does God have authority over everything? Absolutely. And this is meant to blow our minds, okay? Because we're not talking about just some kind of authority. We're seeing him going, there's lifeless chaos. And I'm going to speak goodness into this, okay? God takes this and he creates order and life and beauty. If you're looking over in Genesis chapter 1, you know, you take a look at this and, and just having this idea as he goes down and he said, there's light and it's good. And then he says, let the water in the sky be gathered in one place and let dry land appear. And it's called earth and the seas. And that was good. And let let vegetation and seed bearing plants and fruit trees and life in the water and things growing on the earth. He's taking this chaos. And he's saying, I'm going to make this beautiful thing that has order. OK, so when you're 
when we look at it, when you plant an apple tree, apples come out. Right? He's planting this beautiful thing. Here's the interesting thing. Then he says this. Let's create human beings. Let's create human beings. And, he, and, and, and you get this idea. He's going, how are we going to create them? Let's create them in our image. God is saying in, in who he is, in his likeness, let's make that creation different. Okay? And he tells them and commands us. He says, here's what I want you to do. Go out and multiply. Be fruitful. Okay? This is the beginning of family right here. Listen, come together and have children. This is right on the first page of the Bible. We're seeing this. Make families. And then he says this, by the way, I'm going to give you a task, all right, that I'm going to give humanity authority over this creation. And that doesn't mean that now all of, uh, if, we, if we think of worldly authority, we're going to be really messed up. But God is going, no, I created you in my image and I want you to have authority the same way I exercise my authority. Where there was chaos and I brought beauty and life and order. And now I'm tasking you guys. God's saying, I did the hard work. It's out here. This order and life and beauty has been created. Now you use your authority, okay? Use your authority to maintain this. Right? Look around. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. I mean, could you imagine plopping ourselves down right there at the beginning and God going, look at all of this. Look at the fruit trees. And they and, and listen, the people didn't know you could eat those. You know, he's telling them he's going. But no, no. What you see come out, you can eat those. And then I put seeds in them. And so those seeds can go back in the ground and they can grow more. And I'm giving you food directly out of this dirt. And I'm giving this to you. Could you imagine this time of from from chaos and darkness and, and void of life to this where life flourishes, where life flourishes. OK, and this is the picture that is being painted here in Genesis chapter one. OK, but that's not the end of the story. That isn't, see, just because he moves on, you know, oftentimes they go, oh, that's how it was back then. No, 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 no. Whenever his ways and words are abandoned, chaos and disorder follow. All right? Life doesn't flourish. It's meant in our minds, okay? We're supposed to be considering this as, hey, when, when life is, when, when I'm not flourishing and when my people aren't flourishing, okay, there's a reason, okay? And it isn't because God decided something different when we abandon his ways. You want to know what? Chaos and order come right back. And we see this, right? Is once you saw Adam and Eve and they got into trouble and what came into, what entered into the world, shame and guilt and hiding and fear and all of these things. And who are they afraid of? They're afraid of God who brought life and order and beauty out of the chaos. And this is the same thing that can happen to us. Okay, this is a pattern we're going to see moving forward. We're pretty good at patterns. What do you think the next color would be? Right? We're, we get that. That's not too hard. Okay, if you're wondering, it's black. Okay, this is not, I get it. Okay, this is happening. Why do I bring that up? It's because as a human, just as humans, 
there are patterns that swirl around us that are so predictable and we keep falling for them. We keep falling for, if you've watched, anybody here a, a Snoopy Charlie Brown fan? Okay, anybody know, like, remember what Lucy used to do to Charlie Brown? Remember with the football? And she'd hold it and she'd be like, come on, Charlie Brown. Go ahead and kick it. And like every cartoon, Charlie Brown's like, yeah, I got you. I think she's really going to do it this time. No. Look at Lucy. She's awesome. She's going to hold the ball. She's like, okay, it's Thanksgiving for Pete's sake. I'm kicking that ball in. Okay, listen, that's a parable of us. Okay, is the world going, no, I'll hold the ball. And we're like, that's awesome. Now we're going to kick it. And then we go flying out of control and we start seeing this pattern, okay? So, man, verse of the Bible, right? You talk to almost all, uh, anybody calling themselves a Christian. For God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son. And it, boy, isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that perfect? And you wonder what? Almost everybody has stopped right there. And you look a verse later and he goes, this then is the judgment. Light came in the world, and people love darkness. Okay? We, we, we do it like in church. Like we're going, oh, man, now just accept Jesus and come forward, and now you're a Christian. Go, hold, hold on a minute. No, no, no. He's saying we don't love that. <laughs> He's saying what we want in our deepest level is darkness. But, but here's the deal. Without the chaos... I want the darkness, but God, can you just make my life not chaotic? I don't love you. I don't want the light because the light shows things about me that are not good. Okay? And so here's the, this is this conundrum of us falling again and again and again. Let me show you a little bit here. Jeremiah 4, verse 22, okay? Quotation marks right there. Jeremiah is actually quoting God, okay? My people are fools. They don't know me. They're foolish children without understanding. They're skilled in doing what's evil, and they don't know how to do what's good. God is saying, this is what's happened to my people. And then Jeremiah says, I looked at the earth, and it was formless and empty. It's the same term that's used in Genesis chapter 1. He said, I looked at the earth, and he's going, I look at it, it's dying. I looked to the heavens, and their light was gone. I looked at the mountains, and they were quaking. All the hills shook. I looked, and no man was left. All the birds had fled. I looked to the fertile field, and it was just a wilderness. The cities were torn down. Darkness and chaos and lifelessness. How come? My people are fools. They don't know me. And they're skilled at doing what's evil. That will usher in darkness and chaos and lifelessness where life can't flourish, okay? Again, it's this idea of this transfer over of, of going, man, there's a way that God has called us, okay? So when Jeremiah was writing, this isn't people who weren't familiar with God's ways. There were people who said, no, I want my own way. And I'm willing to, to take the, the peace and the flourishing life, and I'd rather switch it over and just have this chaos, okay? Second Kings 
17, okay? So again, here's what God does. God says, I'm going to take my people and I love them so much and I'm going to save them from Egypt and from slavery and I'm going to bring them up and I'm going to give them a land and I'm going to call it the promised land and it's flowing with milk and honey and it's going to be wonderful and perfect and amazing. And then what did people do? They took matters in their own hands. This is a chapter explaining why the northern kingdom of Israel was taken by the Assyrians. God's people, God used an enemy to come in and rip his people away and put them into captivity. And here's what is written about that. This disaster happened because the people of Israel sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and because they worshipped other gods. They lived according to the customs of the nations that the Lord had dispossessed before the Israelites and the customs the kings of Israel had introduced. Again, we can revert back and oftentimes our nature is going to be to revert back. Oftentimes what seems to make sense is going to give and, and make us go backwards to the chaos and to the void and to a place where life doesn't flourish. That's going to be our, that, that, that's, that's kind of our nature. Micah 7, he says, how sad for me. I'm like one who, when the summer fruit has been gathered, after the gleaning of the grape harvest, finds no grape cluster to eat, no early fig. Godly people have vanished from the land. There's no one upright among the people. All of them wait in ambush to shed blood. They hunt each other with a net. Both hands are good at accomplishing evil. The official and the judge demand a bribe. When the powerful man communicates his evil desire, they plot it together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright is worse than a hedge of thorns. Okay, and so it's basically he continues in that and he's saying here's the deal is everyone has gone back. They've stopped following. They st here's the deal. It's not they've stopped following God. They've stopped revering God. All right, God is one among many gods to them. All right, God is like, if something sounds great, we can bring it on in here, okay? Except what came from that chaos, what came from that, just this depravity in this desolate wilderness that comes from that, right? It says, even when you go down, a son considers his father a fool and a daughter opposes her mother and a daughter-in-law is against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies are the men of his own household. All right, it's just... Chaos is ensuing among God's people. And again, it's that pattern of I know what God says and he's saying this is where life will flourish. And so often we go, I like that, but here's where my decisions are going to take me. And then we end up stuck in a dark, chaotic void and we start looking around going, how did this happen? How did I get here? Was it my small group? Was it my church? Who is it to blame that got me here? Okay. So here's the interesting thing. You come all the way forward. You keep coming forward. And again, what does God say? Listen, here, I have a way for people to experience eternal life right here on earth. There's a way where their life will flourish. 
There's a way where order and beauty will reign. There's a way that I will plop it right down here on this planet. Do the people get it? Do the people deserve it? Absolutely not. But still, I will, I will make a way for that. And it's through the cross of Jesus. Again, we see this pattern of, of taking things into our own hands and then God going, no, let me bring you back in and remind you of the order and the beauty and the life that I want here. And I'm bringing you back again. And he does it and it brings us into the story right here, okay? And I think this is where we have to start thinking, man, how do I continue this pattern? Because it's okay to, to look back and go, oh, those dudes, you know, back when the Assyrians were taking over or when Micah was prophesying or when Jeremiah was prophesying, man, that was different. I have no emotional connection to them. But I hope here we have ears to hear to examine this. And this may be something that is required, again, as we take these verses to go back and meditate and think and, and really pray, God, bring me around to your way. Okay? Bring me around to this. So how do we... How do we contribute to this? Well, one of the things we do as human beings is we exercise human authority over other image bearers. Usually for prosperity or safety. All right, let me give you an example. I've been watching a really great documentary. It's on the Vietnam War. I love it. It's fantastic. I really appreciate it. And it's, fa it's fascinating how nations exist and go to war. And one of the rationales of us going to Vietnam was our national safety is at risk. That's what the world does, okay? Is we must conquer other people to be safe and to prosper, okay? But we do it on a micro level as well. We do this with one another. This is fighting about things. This is this idea of... of of, uh, of just looking down on. This is this idea of just using people for things and having our own kind of safety nets that we have next to us and going, man, no, I'm using image bearers of God as something to help me get better. Okay? We mistreat other image bearers. This is how, so when we're starting to look at this and going, okay, God, I want you to form us as a community, as a Clemson Foothills Church. Again, we're not trying to not be someone else. Okay, our goal isn't like, but, but this other group does it this way. I don't want to be like that. No, no, no. Man, I want us to be conformed. I want myself to be conformed to what God is calling us to in his church. But here's the deal is, is oftentimes we can mistreat other image bearers. Okay, that's the interesting thing from the beginning of going, man, God created and said, they're good. That's good. That's very good. All right. And now we start hearing teachings from Matthew 5. Don't hate your enemy, love your enemy. Why? Because they bear the image of God. <laughs> but what if my enemy is making me unsafe. And there's, we're painting with a large brush, but here's the deal is, is I think we hide behind safety far too often. All right? But what if this? No, no. See, the entirety of chapter 5 is, is hey, here's why. You want to know why we treat people? You want to know why we don't take them? You want to know why, you know, we, we, we get married and we stay together? Is because we're image bearers. This is how we treat one another. 1 John chapter 2, verse 9 he said, you may claim to be in the light and to follow Jesus, 
But if you don't love your brother, you're a liar. Okay? He's saying not loving your brother is darkness and chaos and all these things, and it has no place in the church. None. There's absolutely none. All right? We become covenant breakers. Okay? Here's the deal is the further we get away from just humbly walking with God, the more deep theology we have to like go for. So instead of just going, you want to know why God says don't get divorced? Because it's a covenant I'm telling you to make with my people and you don't break covenants. All right. But then we start breaking the covenant. and We're going, oh, man, I got to read a ton of books on. Is this OK? Is this not OK? When's it OK? Instead of going, hold up a minute. Man, divorce is about breaking covenant. And we abandon God's plan and conform to the world around us. So how are we continuing this pattern? This right here is just a starting place of going, let me go ahead and accept some things in here. Let me get, bring in some bitterness into the church. Let me bring in some divisiveness. Let me bring in some covenant breaking. Let me bring these things in. And you know what? I really want a church where life flourishes. But it won't happen without repentance of that. It will not happen, okay? What do I mean by this? So going back here, we abandon God's plan and conform to the world around us. What does that mean? Um, let me just say this. In our religiousness, this is the one that might fool us most. All right? Where God's plan, if anything has a hint of Christianity at all, we say that's the right thing to do. Mark 7 Verse 11, and write that down and go back, but essentially what was happening is people were supposed to be taking care of their family with their money. And then the kid says, money that I was going to give to mom and dad to help them, I'm going to give it to the treasury at the temple. How sacrificial is that? Isn't that wonderful? How often would us, if that happened, gone, man, you are so sad. You're really living by faith that your parents will make it. <laughs> that's great. You're really sending a message to your parents. And we would go, that's awesome. And God's going, no, understand something. You take care of your parents. Don't hide behind some religious, passive aggressive thing to make your point in my church. Okay? We can hide behind this religiousness of just whatever we say and whatever we sing and however we live. And, and as long as I go and do something like, man, I'm going to go over and bring a plate of cookies. There goes my week was perfect. Amen. That's awesome to do that. All right. Do not trade that out for being a healthy member of a community of Jesus. All right. But it looks religious. Okay. We can do that oftentimes. Right? We abandon God's plan in our view of gender. Can I say that here? Okay? Is this, here's the interesting thing. We're going, God, I, you know, we need as a church to talk about more politics and more real issues. Man, the Bible talks about these things throughout. We're not reading our Bible. Okay? When God says, I made man and woman, he wasn't injecting himself into our arguments. He was saying, no, I'm the truth. There's no one that can stand up against this. There are men and there are women. They're distinctly different. They don't cross over. And that's God's plan. Now, if you decide that you go, I'm not about that, 
then, hey, here's the deal is I have that, but I can't insert myself into God's kingdom because I'm not agreeing with him. All right. And we're going, can we say that any clearer if we want like more classes on that? How many more classes can be any clearer than that? And going, OK, that's just that's what we're we're like bringing ourselves around. That's not hateful. That's not treating people differently. That's saying we're coming under the authority of God, because when we abandon his ways, darkness and chaos and lifelessness ensue. OK, in our practice of marriage again, where's OK, Polit- again, we're like, well, who should I vote for, though? Man, hold up a minute. Man, I don't care about the kingdom of the world. <coughs> Listen, have you not noticed the pattern? Have you looked in all the years of voting? The world has gotten worse. OK, if you think that you're going to go, man, I'm going to change the world for Christianity by voting for the perfect candidate. Man, I, I just want to give you a hug. That's, that's, because here's the deal, man. I don't, I, I care one thing about that. Is that God's message gets to people to bring them where life truly flourishes. Not this, not, well, who am I supposed to vote? In our practice of marriage. I'm just going, yeah, when God, he just said it clear. There's no debate that a man and a woman will leave their family and they'll become one. And every single instance of that in the entire history of God has been that pattern. Okay? Again, the beautiful thing about coming under the authority of God's kingdom is I don't have to argue about anything. I don't have to prove anything. God isn't even trying. He's going, hey, this is me. This is what I say. And, you know, you can go ahead and and decide on your own, but this is what my kingdom will be about, okay? When we abandon God's plans and our parenting and our family structure. So what does that mean? It's easy. I want to follow my ways that seem right rather than parenting a small image bearer to understand God, his love, his plan for life and how to live under his authority. I want Reese. I want Ellie. I want our children to become disciples. Okay, not have a salvation experience, not some kind of like emotional, like, oh, yeah, now I'm saved and I can go do whatever I want. I'm talking about somebody who says there's life in that kingdom and that's what I want. Okay, and so I'm transferring ownership of me into his kingdom. Okay, and so it's this idea of that's the challenge of raising kids, because here's the deal. Authority is a tough thing. It's really easy to not parent our kids to respect authority. When I say no, it means no. If you need to see a counselor later, Christian and Royce will see you, okay? But here's the deal is, is is the Lord has brought all of us up going life and order and beauty. I have the answers to that. Follow me. All right? And this is the same exact thing, but it's when we start like revolving our parenting and our marriage uh, behind worldly things. Here's what ends up happening and happens in our world. Children now have authority over the family. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. I want to do this, not that. And I'm going to have a bad attitude if you don't do those things for me. Okay? Okay? 
Again, understanding that's the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of God is children. We're going to teach you how to honor mom and dad. That's not a bad thing. That doesn't make us some kind of like authoritarian evil people. But if you want to learn about God and love God, this is why he gave us parents. This is why. So they can learn in an environment of love and trust that authority and obedience matter. Right. Right? And so there's this beautiful thing of teaching our kids God's ways. We see Deuteronomy 5. We see Deuteronomy 6. Wives, husbands, children. Our favorite chapter is Ephesians 5. Where again, let's get into a huge argument about all this stuff. Let me get into this huge argument of what does it mean to submit? and what it, Instead of going, hold up a minute. God, what are you calling me to? Your kingdom brings life. Your way brings life. I've seen it. I'll conform to you. I don't care what the verbiage is. I think sometimes we get surprised when we're asked to submit to one another as if God's never asked us to do that before. Like it's new. Like where's this coming from? Submit. Why, did, why are you holding out on me? Except he's like, you know, from the beginning I told you, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. I have all the authority. From the beginning, this is nothing strange, okay? God's word is full of current affairs, political issues. The difficulty is really whether or not we're going to conform to his ways or not. It's not about having like any, even like huge conversations about it, okay? He talks about real things. So all the way back. What's that have to do with today? Why does this matter about 1 Timothy 5? Why does this matter about the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Why does this matter about us being disciples? Why does any of that matter for us, okay? And here's the thing is it matters immensely because how we submit to God's words and his ways is of the utmost importance. We've seen it through history. All right, going all the way back to chapter 1, God spoke. His word brought authority. How me and you submit to that. So what does that call us to do? What does that mean for today? Is that there may be a way I'm thinking, but then I have to go back to the scripture and go, God, what are you telling me? And again, we've seen enough of the pattern to know how we interact in relationship is one of the deepest spiritual activities we can partake in. We're built relationally. The question is, which kingdom will I emulate? Does the world love me? And what I do? And how I talk? And how the entertainment I go for? And the world is like, man, those are the greatest. Those Christians, man, are awesome. We may be emulating the wrong kingdom. Okay? So looking at this is how we interact... How we date and who we ma marry matters generationally. Okay? Believe me, when we start messing around with this, we start messing around with our children and grandchildren and their grandchildren. Okay? And, and I'm not kidding you. This is one of those things. Don't take this. Do not do it. All right? Is this is so serious. But when we look at this and go, oh, you mean I'm going to enter a covenant with somebody? Who thinks divorce is okay? You're crazy. You're entering into something with somebody that you can't do. 
Like the line has to be drawn. Like this is what's so important. Okay, it's not just, it's not American dating that is going to do it. It's going to be dating as the kingdom of God has, has, has like borne out around us and has taught us, okay? How I view and live in my family can be the difference between chaos and peace. Okay, what goes on under my roof and behind my closed doors when I go home? What are the conversations? How much bitterness do we allow in? Right? How much division do we allow in? How much worldliness do we allow in? How much just, just individualism do we allow in? Because we know we can go outside and look really good. Okay? This is what's bringing it back to today. And here's the thing, is uh, really the highest task we've been given is parenting our children to love the king and his kingdom. And every part of that. Okay, me and you have to wrestle with something. Do I really think the king and the kingdom are beautiful and perfect? Because when that's not the case, I'll never pass it on because I go, oh, man, I don't want my child to... I don't want them to feel like they can't have fun. And I don't want them to feel like they have to like, man, they got to, you know, miss a nap or something like that to go to church. I don't want them to feel that way. Except when they get older, it becomes very confusing when they want to become disciples. And you're going, no, you deny yourself. And no, sometimes you might be tired, but when we gather in the three and a half hours we do in a week, when we gather, it's really important. But mom and dad, it wasn't important when I was growing up. But now it's important. Right? Like there's this message that we send and parent. So. When we read a section like 1 Timothy chapter 5, we're not reading words of what might be a really neat club to enter. We're not reading something that would be really cool if it happened. We're reading from God. Paul writes, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and with all propriety, the younger women as sisters. Like, that's not a suggestion. That's reality in the kingdom of God. And there's an, there's an implication here. There's an implication that in this little small group right here is that you know your brothers and sisters and the spiritual moms and the spiritual dads. You know... It gets weird. We, we, it, it gets really strange, okay, if a household was just a household of young kids. And it gets real any demographic, it was just that, all right? But looking at this and going, man, okay, God, I hear you. This is what's important, how we interact with one another. How I interact. And then he gets into this idea of supporting widows, and people in our household, and we're going to dive into that next week. This right here, man, this will hit our society and our culture in the tail right here. Okay? Because the, the American dream is, and, and you guys are getting ready for it, man, I'm close to it, okay, is I'm going to retire, and I'm going on great trips, and my life is going to be easy, and my kids are going to be out there, 
and going, we're going to learn something. No, no. You take care of your family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You take care of people in your own household. You take care of mom and dad. That really cramps my style. What did they do to deserve that? Okay, we're going to have to like put our Americanism to the side. Yes. All right, I'm getting to the age, and me and Abby are getting to the age where our parents, as they get older, having to have different conversations with them. Not conversations of how can I get rid of you easily to stop bothering me. Okay? But the idea of, hey, mom, do you need help with something? Right? How are your finances? What can we do to help? I want my mom, I want my in-laws to know that they're going to be taken care of by us. I want them to know they're not going to be abandoned. I want them to know that we're not trying to, like, they will be taken care of, okay? But here's the deal. I won't have that if I want to hang on to a worldly view and my own ways, and I just kind of want God's kingdom. I want all the good things, but following his ways, not so much and conforming ourselves to this. So hopefully you'll take some time this week to go through 1 Timothy 5, and this is really, really great stuff, but maybe go back to 1 Timothy 1 and read through and start to see, wow, God has been forming us to, to not just like, okay, I'll obey. You know, the simple thing to do in Christianity is going, I don't want it to be about rules. I don't want a checkbox mentality. I think we say that and we don't know what that means. Okay, because there isn't anything in the Bible that's going to tell us to do that. But it gives us the methodology to go, no, I'm going to form you under this life and beauty. And I want you to buy into that. So you'll be following me. All right. The minute we start going, oh, yeah, no, they're talking about checklists. And please, like, it's got to go somewhere else. All right. Super easy. Chapter one, two, three, four, five. You can read those. Study this out. Come prepared. Pray about it. Whatever. But this is what we're going to be diving into. So let's pray. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC. 